dive right into the Word of God, and we're going to get right to it, that God can have His way. Amen. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter is in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 4. Amen. The Bible consists of Old Testament and New Testament. All of it is very relevant. So when you hear Old Testament, it doesn't mean that, okay, we don't need that anymore. It's old. <laughs> Amen. Old Testament and New Testament. Amen. We are so glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and we welcome all of you and those of you that have joined us on Facebook Live this morning. We welcome you as well. I don't know. I may have scared off some of the Facebook folks last week. I didn't mean to scare you off. So if you're if you're logged in this morning and you were on last week, uh, don't be upset with me. I just got to sometimes the Holy Ghost just moved me a certain way and I just got to say what the Holy Ghost moved me to say. And even sometimes the Holy Ghost allowed me to say things that offends me. <laughs> and that doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I'm right to be offended. It just means it just challenged me or convicted me or challenged me, you know. So um, it might be coming out of my mouth, but the Bible says the, the word of God is like a sword, a two-edged sword, okay? So it cuts going and it cuts coming. So it will cut every one of us that will allow it to cut us. And so the word of God cuts me even when I'm ministering the word of God. So God is not a respecter of person and no one ex- is exempt from the word of the Lord. We all must obey the word of God. First Peter chapter 4 verse 1 says, I'm reading from the Amplified version this morning because I want to really give you some clarity. You're going to read some things in the uh, uh, KJV version, the King James version, which is the version that I always use. But when I read through these passages of scriptures, I said, wow, let me give it to you from the Amplified. So in case there's something that you're not sure about, as we read, you can be sure of it. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, So, since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, for you and for me, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose patiently to suffer rather than to fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin, has stopped pleasing himself and the world, and pleases God. So that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living by his or her human appetites and desires. But he lives for what God's will. For the time that is past already suffices for doing what the Gentile like to do. Living as you have done in shameless, insolent, wantingness. In lustful desires, drunkenness, reveling, drinking bouts, and abominable lewdness and idolatry. They are astonished and think it very queer that you do not now run hand in hand with them in the same excesses of dissipation and they abuse you. But... They will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge and pass sentence on the living and the dead. For this is why the good news, the gospel, was preached in their lifetime, even to the dead. And though judged in fleshly bodies as men are, they might live in the spirit as God does. But the end and culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restraint and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love one for another. For love covers a multitude of sin. Forgive and disregard the offenses of others. 
Practice hospitality one to another. Those of the household of faith, be hospitable. Be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Christ's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially, and graciously without complaining, but as representing him. As each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. Verse 11, final verse. Whoever speaks, let him do it as one who utters oracles of God. Whoever renders service, let him do it as with the strength which God furnishes abundantly, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ the Messiah. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever through endless age. Amen. So be it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful for the word of God. For the word, O God, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Lord Jesus, the Word of God, oh God, is a two-edged sword. Lord Jesus, let the Word of God search us today. Let the Word of God, Lord Jesus, go out and accomplish your will, that it will not return unto you void. Let the Word that that are being spoken into our hearing, Lord God, challenge us, convict us, empower us, encourage us, strengthen us, edify us, bless us, heal us, deliver us, and save us. Lord, your presence is here. Now let your will, O God, be done and overshadow your people that God, none of us can stand without observing and acknowledging that you are here, how real you are, how majestic you are, how sovereign you are, how powerful you are, how amazing you are, how all-knowing you are, how you're present. And Lord God, you love us now. God, let every person in this building know that Jesus Christ is here and he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, let chains that bind us begin to fall. Let strongholds set us free. Let doubt go and leave. And let Almighty God, the will of God be done in this place. Will you set every captive free, oh God, that we will not be bound anymore, that we will not be consumed with sin, that we will not be consumed by the things of this world, but God unleash the power that will save us, that will deliver us, that will heal us. Jesus, it's you that we look to. Jesus, it's you that we are worshiping and praising. Jesus, you are the mighty God in Christ. The everlasting Father, Jesus, we bow before you. We cry out to you. There has not been one Lord that sincerely cry out and call on your name. That you did not meet their expectation. That you did not come to their rescue. And so this morning, oh God, we cry out to you. We cry out to you. We call on your name. Whatever you will, let it be done. Let it be done. Let it be done. In Jesus' name. Clap your hands, somebody, and let out your voice. God deserve the praise. God deserve the honor. Why don't you give the Lord a praise? Why don't you open up your mouth and shout unto Him? The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will not be ashamed of him. 
Oh, somebody worship him in this place. Oh, somebody give him the honor and the praise. Oh, somebody lift up the name of Jesus. It is the name that's above every name. It is the name that heals. It is the name that saves. It is the name that, oh, yes, it is the name that demons tremble at. Oh, my God. Oh my God, I give you the praise and the honor. Come on, let's clap our hands one more time. You may be seated. Self-indulgence seems to be a common way of life these days. It is encouraged and supported by many. It is looked upon by many as the way we should live our life. If I don't do this for myself, nobody else will. I have to look out for me, myself, and I. Self-indulgence. What is self-indulgence? Self-indulgence involves over-engaging things solely for the purpose of creating pleasure for oneself. Self-indulgence is doing whatever one wants whenever he or she wants to. Self-indulgence, not doing what he or she doesn't want to do when they don't want to do it. I hope you didn't miss that one. So self-indulgence is doing whatever one wants whenever one wants. But it's also not doing what you don't want to do. Doing what may be considered selfless, some sort of volunteer service, or making some sort of donation to feel good about ourselves, is still self-indulgence. There are people that are volunteering here and volunteering there. There are people that are donating here and donating there. Does not mean they're not self-indulged. They're just doing it to satisfy what they want. If it's not being done genuinely to help someone, then it's self-indulgence. Basically, self-indulgence is a combination of excessive hedonism and self-centeredness resulting from a false sense of entitlement. Self-indulgence can create major health problems as well as vast psychological problems. If you are regularly self-indulging, you are actively disengaged from living a meaningful life. One cannot self-indulge and genuinely be connected to others and environments. Self-indulgence in its extreme makes it nearly impossible to contribute effectively in any way, thus making it nearly Impossible to experience any sense of real purpose. In order to or significantly decrease the negative consequences of self-indulgent actions, one must consciously disengage the behavior as much as possible and instead fully engage the pursuit of knowledge and experience and connection in something totally unselfish that will produce positive outcome for others 
nourish relationships, and ultimately to experience genuine, peaceful joy. I don't know if you picked up anywhere where I was reading that you could be self-indulgent and really not acknowledged it. There's areas here that I was reading, I'm like, oh, that's self-indulgence. And so if we have heard what just was read, and we can identify that, 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 that could be me, that could be me. I pray this morning that you will take ownership and say, I need to do something about it. Because our world has been fitted in a way now where self-indulgence is just normal. I know I'm going to sound old by saying this, and I don't mean to offend millennials and Generation Z, but I got to tell you, I just don't understand why we got to put everything about our life on Facebook. And I think that may be a little bit of self-indulgence. Selflessness is what we need in this hour. Selflessness is what's going to work if we're going to know who Jesus is. Jesus is the originator of selflessness. And until we encounter Jesus, until we pursue Jesus, we will never get to a place of selflessness that our life will say, I'm living this life so others can be beneficial. I'm living this life so somebody else can be touched and so somebody else could be blessed. Hear me this morning. The word of the Lord says, Give no thought on what you may eat or what you may drink or what you should wear. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. It means all these things do the people of the world seek. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So if you're worried about if I'm going to live my life so others could be beneficial, if I'm going to live my life so others could be blessed, what about me? Do you think your heavenly father will call you to the kingdom to be selfless and let you be stranded and not have what you need? Oh, I know who Jesus is and he will do exceeding and abundant above whatever you can ask or think. And so Jesus will not ask you to be selfless and leave you hanging and leave you stranded and leave you without oh no he won't he will give abundant he will give exceedingly till you gotta say Jesus I don't need that Jesus I don't need that but if you will just be selfless and do what God has done you will see the abundance begin to flow you want to see abundance flow do what he did self Lessness. In First Peter chapter four, verse one that we read. These are heavy scriptures. It says, So since Christ suffered in the flesh for us. Did we miss that? It says Christ suffered in the flesh for us. You want to talk about an act of selflessness? Remember, he existed way before we were created. And so if he existed way before we created, were created, that tells you he don't need us. If he existed way before we were created, which is true, you know he doesn't need us. So by him creating us, that was a big thing. And he gave us instructions on how to live, and we decided we're going to defy that and disobey that and rebel against that. And he still loves us. And he still sacrifices life for us. Mm -hmm. So he suffered in the flesh for us. And the word of God said to us, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose. What's that same thought and purpose? We have to suffer in the flesh. 
What do you mean by suffering in the flesh, preacher? Does that mean I got to go on the cross like he went on the cross and all that stuff? Mm -mm. It says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sinning. So what does that mean, preacher? Suffering the flesh. It means you don't give the flesh what it desires. He's not asking you to go get arrested by Roman soldiers. He's not asking you to get a big heavy wooden cross and lay it on your back and try to carry it up a, a mountain. He's not asking you to take 39 stripes on your back. He's not asking you to surrender your life to be crucified on a cross with nails in your hand and in your feet and a crown of thorn on your head. He's not asking you to do that. All he's asking you to do is to not give in to what your fleshly desires are. That's what he's asking us. He says, because when you begin to stop letting the flesh get what it wants, Man, you minimize sin in your life like that. But as long as we give in to what the flesh desires, sin is like that. And so Christ is trying to tell us something. The writer here, the Apostle Peter, is trying to tell us that we will cease from sin when we become selfless. You see, when a selflessness works for us, when you are selfless, you will now no longer give in to that flesh. So the flesh say, I want to sleep in today and take it easy. That's what the flesh want. That's your pleasure. That's what you desire. But what, what, what if you say, but God, you have placed your word in me. You have put your spirit in me. And wherever I go today, your spirit, Lord Jesus, will just shine brightly and people will know that I belong to you. And you have placed your word inside my mouth. So when they come to me for an answer, I can give them an answer. And so why, while I don't feel like getting out of the bed today, and while I feel like just sleeping in, God, I know that if I leave this house, I can do more good than sleeping. We love to say, I thank God for waking me up this morning. And we need to thank God for waking me up. But are you woken up this day so you can indulge in your pleasure, in your self-indulgence? Or did you get up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will let my light shine before men that they will see my good works and glorify my Father, Lord Jesus, who is in heaven. Is that what we give thanks for, that we can let our light shine? Is that what we give thanks for, to let people know Jesus is Lord? Or is it so we can self-indulge? There has to come a time where we make a decision. Verse 3, in that same passage of Scripture, it says, For the time... That is past already. Suffices for doing what Gentiles like to do. You want me to tell you what that means? It means the time has already come and passed for us to keep living like ungodly people. People that don't fear God. That time has come and passed. And it's time for every one of us to sit down and make a decision and say, am I going to keep on living like everybody else? Or am I going to live the way Jesus want me to live? Am I going to live like everybody else? Or am I going to live the way Jesus wants me to live? We've been talking about forgiveness on Thursdays. And... The passage of scripture that teaches about how to go about forgiveness is Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20, and even to the end of it, I think up to 31, 35. It teaches us how we should go about forgiveness. And what it teaches is, if your brother offends you, what you're supposed to do is go to him 
and talk to him that, you know, you were offended by the way he said this or by the way he did this. And you were hurt by it, but you're coming to him to let him know that you forgive him. And maybe, you know, he didn't understand what he had done, but it's okay. You forgive him because you want him to know you want him. You want him to be, be in right relationship. You want to be in right balance with you and him. And you want your relationship to be as it used to be. So you go to him and you say, please forgive me. Then if he says, I don't know what you're talking about. You better get out of here with that. The Bible says you go and you get two or three more witnesses. And you bring them back. And those witnesses aren't there to make him feel worse. Those witnesses are there to say, hey, man, you know, Wayne said, you know, he really want you and him to be back together and be in right relationship. And he came to talk to you before. And, you know, he really wants that. But you don't seem to want that. And we're here as witnesses to let you know he really do want your friendship. Those two or three witnesses are not there to make him feel bad. Like, yeah, you're you're not right. And then it says, if, if you don't hear those two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. And it, all, it gives you all this instruction. And telling it to the church don't mean you tell the whole church and then now we excommunicate the person. Never forget this. Jesus said, if your brother, means that that person still belongs to Christ. And he's still your brother, sister and brother. So you can't make them out to be somebody else. They're still a child of God. They just offended you. And the Bible says offense will come. And so you can't try to excommunicate them because the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save this, that which is lost. So here's the truth. Even people that are living a downright dirty, scandalous life, even them Jesus loves and is trying to save. So why would you let your brother in church or your sister in church feel like they are unsavable? That's not biblical. But we've got all, some of these things confused and it's not working right. What's my point of telling you all of those things? Because if you don't follow the text to try to restore your relationship with your brother through forgiveness, as Jesus describes, it will never work. Why is that? Here's something that I pointed out Thursday night. If you ever try to go to your brother or sister with witnesses before you went by yourself, they will always feel like you're trying to belittle them and make them feel bad and trying to convict them and trying to do what you want. But if you do it like Jesus said, which was go first by yourself, a lot of people don't want to do that. You're, you feel uncomfortable doing that. Too bad. The word of God said you go by yourself. And you know why Jesus wants you to go by yourself the first time? So when you bring witnesses or when you have to go back again, that brother or sister will know you're not trying to show them up because you came by yourself when nobody was around, nobody saw you. That brother or sister will know you weren't trying to show them up. And so that's why Jesus said, go by yourself. Don't take anybody with you. Don't go telling somebody else what they did. Don't go gossiping about the situation. Just go to your brother or your sister by yourself telling nobody. Don't tell the pastor. Don't tell no. Just go by yourself and get it worked out. If we don't do it that way, we will never get that relationship back restored. So the point for me telling you that this morning, and today is not Thursday at Bible study, the point I'm trying to tell you that is we have to obey the word of God as it is written. We can't deal with it as the gray area. We can't, we can't deal with the word of God like, well, God understands. We do too much of that. We do too much of God understands. We do too much. Well, this is what I've always been told. We do too much of traditional things just to make ourselves feel good. It's still self-indulgence in some way when we're trying to indulge the word of God according to our own desires. Our flesh is not good. As a matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say your flesh is worse than the devil to you. just got one clap your flesh is more dangerous than satan about six you want me to prove it to you some of us are not important enough for satan to come and try to encourage us to do nothing you're not that important so Satan won't even visit some of us. Uh, I got you already. You, I'm not even coming to you. I'm going to some serious people that can do some serious stuff. That's who I'm going to visit so they can keep on doing serious stuff. I'm not coming to you. Satan ain't coming to all of you because Satan is not omnipresent like God. So he's just a demon. 
So you think he's going to waste his time on peons like us? He's going to somebody that he can use to do damage. He want to go to people that's going to blow up buildings, bring down airlines. That's the people he want to get to because he can kill more people that way. He's not coming to you. So you don't have to worry about him that much. You got to worry about this flesh that you walk in every day. That's what you got to worry about. So that's what I mean by this flesh is more deadly to you than Satan will ever be to you. It is what causes us to self-indulge. Ain't nothing wrong with that. This flesh is what causes us. And so the, the scripture says that time has passed now that we need to get ourselves right with God. We got to stop going around getting drunk. We got to stop going around living carelessness and living carelessly and stop going around and making other things our God. We got to start doing what God wants us to do because we're in that time. We're living in that hour where we need to do what God wants us to do. Uh-huh. Here is, look at verse 4 in that same text. Let me burst a little bubble here, call you out a little bit, because I feel it in my spirit. Verse 4 says, they are astonished and think it very queer that you do not now run hand in hand with them in the same excesses of the dissipation and they abuse you. Let me tell you what that is. In this text, people had stopped living a sinful life. It was behind them. But when they stopped, the people they used to run with gave them a hard time. Treat them like they was corny. And queer. I remember my days. I remember my transformation time. I remember what people was thinking about me. And so some of us in here today, let me call you out by the Holy Ghost. You won't totally surrender to Jesus because you're worrying about how you got to deal with everybody else. You'll worry about how everybody else is going to perceive you. You're worried about how you will be looked upon. You're worried about the change that you're going to make, and they're going to wonder, oh, you go to church now? So the change that you're going to make, you're worried about that change. And God is asking you, are you going to be embarrassed of me? Are you going to be ashamed to make the transformation for me? Are you afraid to change your look for me? You know, I don't have enough time because I got to go. I was reading the other day in our daily reading. And if you are reading along with us, you remember in Exodus when Moses killed the Egyptian man and hit him in the sand and he ran away from Egypt and went to Midian. This so tickled me. And so when he got there, he helped these women get water for their animals. And they went home. Their dad asked them, how did you get back so quick today? Because usually you at that well for a long time getting water. You know what their response was? An Egyptian helped us. You wonder now, what did that mean? Moses was really Hebrew. Why did they think he was an Egyptian? Don't mess with me. I, I read the word of God. I want to run and nobody's around. I want to shout. I, listen, why did they say an Egyptian when Moses was really a Hebrew? That's what we're running from. You're running from somebody saying a Christian. You're running from somebody saying, oh, they holy. You're running from somebody saying, oh, they don't play games. They live for God. You're running from that. You're worried about that. You are worried about what somebody's going to think of you when you totally cross over and says, I'm all Jesus, baby. And people, when they surrender to God, they ain't worried about that. They 
thought Moses was an Egyptian because of what he looked like. You're worrying about, I don't know if I can look like that. They're going to talk about what I look like. Oh, God help us. That tickled me so much when I read that the other day. They called Moses an Egyptian. And we knew Moses was a Hebrew. But they knew why they called him that. It's what they saw. Will somebody be able to see you and say, oh, that's a Christian? Or they're going to have to talk to you for a minute. And have a conversation. Oh, you go to church? Is, 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 that, is that where you wanted to go? They got to talk to you for about 30 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Oh, you go to church. Or you want them to see you from afar and say, oh, yeah, it's the truth right there. So the young people say, that's the truth right there. Uh-huh. Don't you want them to see you from afar and say, that's the truth right there. Mm-hmm. Remember I told you when I started going to church, people that I used to roll with, used to drink with, used to smoke with, used to roll with, they was able to say, oh, that's the truth right there. Because they knew what I used to do. And they knew I didn't do it no more. So they was able to say, that's truth right there. There ain't no, there ain't no Christian that's being no hypocrite. They knew. And I'm asking you, are you going to abandon that self-indulgent life? Sacrifice your life for the sake of Christ. And live unselfishly for the glory of God. And say, God, I'm here for you. And not worry about what anyone else think. I'm almost done. This generation is coming to an end. I don't know if I can relate it like this. Here's a good way to relate it. Some of you are not sports fans. I'm sorry that I'm a sports fan and sometimes I got to use sports as an analogy. So for you that know sports, thank you. For you that don't know sports, try to follow me on this. There's a quarterback in New England called Tom Brady. They say he's the greatest quarterback of all time. One of the things that make him get discussed a lot about that is because of his age. Nobody has ever played the kind of, has never been that competitive at 41 years old. He's 41 years old and he's very competitive. And so here's the niche of what I'm saying. So there's a big debate every year to say, is this the year Tom Brady's going to get old and look old and can't play anymore? That's the debate. Which year? They know sooner or later it has to happen. So they've been saying this since he was 37. He's at 41 now. It's a fact that sooner or later he's going to be old and can't do it. But everybody's trying to guess and speculate when will that be. The fact is it will happen. But we don't really know when. The fact is Jesus is coming back. We just don't know when. The fact is, we've been talking about it for a while, that Jesus is coming back. We just don't know when. And I'm telling you, we're at the end of the age, and Jesus is coming back. Whether we believe it or not, he is on his way back. And we don't have time to worry about what anybody else thinks. And we don't have time to live a self-indulgent life. We have to now say, God, I need to follow after you. The way you want me to follow. We know it's going to happen. We just don't know when. I remember back in Noah's days. Noah said it was going to rain. And so he was building an ark. It had never rained before then. So they said, well, we'll see. 120 years went by. And all of a sudden, here it comes. You know, when something get into the 50-year mark, 100-year mark, you're like, yeah, they're just talking. And you go back to being comfortable and kind of ignoring it like it's not going to happen. But let me tell you, it's going to happen. And so I come to a close. It's okay. I'm looking over here to the audiovisual. Oh, you did put it up. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Sometime I determined that I'm not even going to tell you the topic of the sermon. Let you figure it out yourself. Because all of our minds work different ways. And I don't want to. I, I want you to get it for yourself. Manipulation is not my trait. 
Mm -mm, I don't have time to manipulate you. Because if I manipulate you to listen to the word of God and to try to live for God, I'm going to keep on trying to manipulate you. And that's too much work. (laughs) I'm not down with that. And that's foolish. Because nobody that gets manipulated gets to heaven. I'm just telling you. And so if I genuinely care about you and love you, no matter how much, no matter how badly I want to see you give your life to Christ and walk with Christ, no matter how badly I want that, it has to be done genuinely. And I can't do it any other way. And so sometimes I feel pressed and I say things, but I will not make it manipulative. It all will be the word of God, the truth, and you have to decide how you want to receive it. Verse 10 says, as for each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, employ it for one another as befit good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. God has given all of us gifts. You don't believe that? All of us have gifts, and the gifts come down to service or speaking. That's the word of God. Put, put verse 10 back up here so they can read while they're listening to me. But all of us has received gifts from God. There is not one person in this audience, in this congregation, that don't have a gift from God. And you received it before you was even born. So we all have a gift from God. The question is, do you know it? And if you know it, what are you doing with it? Because God gave you that gift. It's not because you were good while you got that gift. God knew what he called the church. He called the church his body. And if you look at our body, nurses, doctors, all of you that understand the body, if you look at our body, you know all of it worked to support the body. If one thing is not working right in the body, it affects the whole body. And so what God did is he established his church that he calls his body to function like our physical body functions. So in order for that to work right, guess what he has to do? Give us all abilities and talents to help with the functionality of the body. So you might be a pinky finger in the body. You might be an arm or a toe or a leg. My point is God has given you a gift to support the body. And the question is, what are you doing with that gift? And so we have to ask ourselves that too. We have some questions we got to ask ourselves today. Whoever speaks, let him do it as one who utters oracles of God. Whoever renders service, let him do it with all the strength which God furnishes abundantly. Listen, speaking don't mean the pastor only. You've got a mouth. So it's not just the pastor or the ministers or no, no. If God gave you a gift to speak, you need to be speaking it, whatever God is telling you to speak. If God gave you a gift to provide service, then you need to serve as God gave you a gift to serve. And no, listen, we do this, we analyze and try to bring differentiation. And then we start telling ourselves, I got to figure out which one is better so I can just assume and try to make that my gift. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? Don't you trust God? No. Because if you did, whatever the gift is, you just embraced it with joy and happiness because you know that's what's best for you. You try to serve God with a gift that he didn't give to you and it will kill you. Just use the gift that he gave you because guess what? That gift will enable you to live a victorious life in Christ. But if you don't use that gift, then you won't find yourself being successful. Oh, God, help me. I don't want to go down this road, but I feel it in the Holy Ghost. God's gift that he has given you is essentially that thing that will propel you to be successful in serving God. The more you hold back that gift and not use it, the more detriment you will experience in your life and the more frustration you will experience in your life because you're holding on to something that God 
says you got to utilize. You're, you're not using what God has given you to make you strong. You're not using what God has given you to make you victorious. And you're frustrating yourself. All because you're holding on to the gift. Do I need to give you some more Bible to scare you a little bit? You remember Jesus talking about in the parable, the man that received one talent, the one that received two talents, and the one that received five talents? The one talent dude, what did he do? He buried his gift. You know what Jesus called him? Evil and wicked and cast him in outer darkness. Ooh. Jesus, you telling me that you go to that, that extreme because you gave me a gift and I didn't use it? That's our, our little mind thinking. We want to always, we get ourselves so worked up, Sister Kendra, because we can't understand that. We, we can't accept that. How can the Lord send me to hell because I don't use the gift? I thought he was loving. He went to Calvary's cross. You're not all-knowing. You only know in part. You're not all-knowing. So if he decides that the punishment is go to hell, is, 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 is darkness and all that stuff, because you don't, he knows why. I, can't, I, can't, I, I cannot give you the explanation totally for that. He's the shot caller. All I know is, my part is, if he give me the gift, let me put the gift in action. And I can't sit back and say, I can't understand. We love to say that. I can't understand how. How about, Brother Dibble pre- preached this, how about you go and go try to research how he parted the Red Sea and come back and let me know how he did it. Go and research that and, and come back. Because it doesn't matter how much explanation. As a matter of fact, go and research when the three Hebrew boys was thrown in the fire and they didn't get burned up. Go explain that. What is wrong with us? We keep on wanting to understand and explain everything. When we can't, we're not all-knowing. We're not God. Either we're going to believe it and work with it or we're not. But we can't understand it all and we won't have the explanation for everything God does. We want all this explanation. We're limited. And I'll go as far as to tell you, you will get some sort of understanding if you dive a little deeper in your relationship with him. And so... Here's the close. So we ought to do what we need to do with the gift that God has given us. As a matter of fact, God will give us the strength. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a testimony of that. I have no idea. I have no idea how every week I can do this. You might think I'm just talking just to be, t- I am telling you, I have no idea. I can't understand it. And I can understand probably why preachers get worn out and get old quick. Because if it's anything like what I've experienced, this is what I experience every week. After today, what I tell my family, maybe a half a day tomorrow, that's my free time to, to not think about too much. And then I'm back at it saying, Lord Jesus, what you going to say to us Sunday? Because I can't just go and just tell you something. I can't just go and go preach something. It's not the way it works. You go to God and say, God, your people, I'm your child. We all need to be touched by you. We all need you. What do you got? And I got to pray all week long. What do you got? Every once in a while, he give me two or three sermons in a row. But it don't go like that all the time. So every week, you got to wait for the Lord to direct you. Every week, you got to wait for can't do that in your natural ability. Can't do it. Can't do it. Let me change that. Can't do it and be effective. Me and my oldest son was having this conversation. Well, it was me and my oldest son, my family. We were just sitting down. And he likes to, he likes to have, um, what's the word I'm trying to, um, um, well, let me forget and move on because I got to go. Um, um, philosophical. Conversations. He he liked to act like he's smart. 
me, 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 and, me and our barber talk about him all the time. I say, you know, now nah, he start using these words to try to make it sound like something like we just was, we was born yesterday. He's trying to use words to think that deflect anything. But anyway, here's what we were talking about. I was talking to him about mega churches. We were talking about that. And I told him, if I want to have a mega church, I can raise up a mega church. Because I would just make it where we're just gathering people together and making them feel good. I can do that. I know a lot of people. I'm connected to a lot of people. And I know how to just make people feel good. And so I could just start reaching out to a lot of people, make them feel good. Before you know it, we'd be at 1,000. Before you know it, 1,500, 2,500. You're like, whoa, what's going on? But we all may be not going to the same, the right place we need to go. Mm-hmm, that's my point. My point is, how do you effectively help people when it's mega? You letting everybody just go with some sort of, okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Nobody understands accountability. Nobody understands to dig deep in the word. We just come together every Sunday and feel good for that Sunday. We leave when we come back next Sunday. Preacher, let me feel good. And that's what we do when we say we're going to heaven. I'm good. It's going to have to be mega with me saying this is what we're doing. And, and anyway, I told him my plan. What I told y'all, so he not getting no secret, that when God called this church to be in, in established, all we're going to do if this church get to the point where it's growing, growing, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a handful of people that's from a certain area that travel to us and say, we're going to go over here and together we'll start another congregation. And when that going, people from that area can go to that congregation. And we'll still have this congregation here. And then you, you live over here. Okay, let's get a group of people. That's what we'll do. Go check the Bible and see if I'm right or not. Go check the Bible. See if I'm right or not. See how they started church in the Bible. So that's what I know about the book, and that's why I'm not into the mega, because I just don't know how effective that will be for people. I want to be able to touch you. I want to be able to talk to you. I want to have conversation. I want to spend time with you. I want us to sit down and have dinner sometimes. What do you think? How are we going to do that if we mega? I want to make sure when I can tell, sometimes the Holy Ghost say, go talk to so-and-so. Take so-and-so out. The Holy Ghost, give me that. What if we mega? I got to have my bodyguard. Sam, let me listen. Sam, Sam, Sam I got I to get my limo to come pick me up, have my bodyguard, my driver, and, and all, of that, all of that commotion got to go on for me to pick you up to go to dinner. <laughs> Sam teased me one time and said, yeah, when you get like T.D. Jakes, don't, don't forget me. I said, I won't forget you. All right. So here we go. Verse 11, we're going to finish up. It says, let him do it as with the strength which God furnishes abundantly. So the gift that God gives you, you need to use that gift and do it with the strength that God will give you. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so I've entitled this message today, all For the glory of God. And so if you didn't catch it all while I've been talking today. All for the glory of God. To him be the glory which means the praise and dominion. Jesus must receive glory from what we say and what we do. All gifts are to exercise to give him the glory. And so if God gave you a gift to serve, if God gave you a gift to speak, if God gave you, well, he don't have to give you a gift. If God has given you an ability where you can worship God and praise God, you need to worship God and praise God. God is not glorified when we say and do what we want. The glory of God is the magnificence of God. I need to tell you this morning, God is 
is looking for his people to glorify him. And we might think that's being selfish, but what you don't understand is when God is glorified, everybody benefits. When God is glorified, the power of God is available. When God is glorified, your problems can be set free. When God is glorified, your life can change in just a twinkling of an eye. When God is glorified, you will experience relief and deliverance. But oftentimes we come together, God do not, do not get glorified. We come together and we're waiting for God to do something for us. Self-indulgence. So even in church, we come and it's self-indulgence. And so I'm here to ask you today, are we going to glorify God or is this going to be self-indulgence? Remember, part of self-indulgence is not doing what you don't feel like doing. Let me back up for you where no shots get fired at me. I had, hey, listen, I had shots fired at me a few times. But let me get out of the way so y'all don't fire no shots at me. But when we don't do what we don't feel like doing, that's self-indulgence. God don't get any glory out of that. And one thing I've learned about the glory of God, the glory of God is the things of God manifested. Remember what the scripture says in, in, in John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh. And so when Jesus manifested, guess what? You was able to see the glory of God. And so today I'm asking us together as a church, do we want to see the glory of God? Do we want to experience the glory of God? And we can only do that when we become selfless. Your praise to God will manifest the glory of God. Because what does the word of God say? He says, I tabernacle. I dwell in the praises of my people. And so when we begin to praise the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? His presence will manifest. His power will manifest. His, 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 his authority will manifest. But until we begin to manifest the presence, and the glory of God we can't get to experience those supernatural things and I'm asking you today will you begin to express to God what you think about him through your praise and through your worship are you interested in experiencing the glory of God the supernatural power because the way we will experience that will be through our praise will be through how we worship him will be how we obey the word of God for it's through our obedience in the word that the power and the glory will be manifested. Will you stand? All for the glory of God. We can't self-indulge and God get glory. The only way God's get, God gets the glory is when we become selfless. Selfless in praising him. Selfless in worshiping him. Selfless in appreciation to say, God, I know why I'm here today. I know, oh God, why I'm still here. Some of us could have died a long time ago and we're here because God was good to us. And so now, what do we do to say, God, I know why I'm here. God, I know what you, what you have done for me. I might not know the details, but I know I'm only standing here because of your goodness. I'm only standing here, God, because of your mercy, because of your kindness. And what should we do? Should we worship him? Should we praise him? Should we adore him? What should we do? All for the glory of God. I'm living for the Lord, for his glory. It's supposed to be like that for a while. 
You know why enough more people are not running to the church and running to the altar? Because the people of God that are supposed to be demonstrating the glory of God aren't. How else will people be saved? Tell me how you expect for people to be saved. Just hear something and kind of believe it, especially the millennials, millennials and the Generation Z and Generation X and all. What do you think? They're just going to hear something and be like, oh, yeah, let me go in the church. No, no. They have to be coached. They have to be able, we have to be able to coach them up and be able to, 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 to walk alongside them. That's how they're going to get this. And if we're not manifesting God's glory, how will others get saved? So that's why you can't look at the glory as, as some other things. You got to look at it as this is God's way of drawing people to him. This is God's way of reaching other people that they can be saved. That they don't have to live that life where they're bound and live that life where they're in sin and live that life where they don't have a future and hope. They need Jesus. But how will they know where to look for Jesus? They have to look and see the glory of God in your life and say, oh, that is better for me. How do people know what we have is better for them than what they have? Because we're not showing the glory of God. So when we live in our own strength, they look and say, whoa, you look like you struggling over there. I might as well keep living my life of sin because I feel better off with that than how you live. Look at you. You're struggling over there. Can't pay your bills, can't can't get ahead. You look like you you just just don't treat yourself right. You just I might as well because I look better than you in my sin. Oh, you never think about that, huh? Uh, uh, uh. You, you, you didn't think about that, huh? That we have to carry ourselves so the glory of God can be revealed in our life, where people say, uh huh, yeah yeah yeah, something about them. People won't follow you if you don't have nothing to offer them. You don't have it. Jesus have it. But you are the express image and example of Jesus Christ. In order for them to get to know who Jesus or seek out the Jesus, they got to see it in you. So if you're telling them about your God of what your God can do, they're going to look at your life and say, let me see what he did for you. What did your God do for you? And if your God didn't do anything for you that we can see that's good, then why do I need to follow your God? Why did Nebuchadnezzar say, Daniel, God is God? They threw them in the, in, 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 they threw them in the lion's den, hungry lions, and they didn't do one thing to Daniel. So what if Daniel would have tried to fight? I'm not going in the lion's den. That wouldn't have really been no glory. But Daniel said, if that's what you got to do, go ahead, put me in the lion's den. And he willingly walked into the lion's den, and no lion ate him. The glory. We have to do something for the glory to be revealed. And so, if the glory is going to be revealed, we have to do something. So, I challenge you today we're still in this early stage of this new year. Will you live your life to reveal the glory of God? Will you live your life to manifest the glory of God? Or will you continue to just be self-indulgent and just indulge your own self? Take pleasure in your own stuff. Or will you live that life that God can be glorified? Let's take a moment and seek the Lord. Let's take a moment and call upon his name and ask him to touch us in a special way that we can exemplify the glory of God through our obedience to the word of God. Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you today, Lord God, for your word. I thank you today, Lord God, for this great body of believers. And now, Lord, I ask that the power of God will fall upon them and that the will of God will be done in their life, O God. And that, Lord Jesus, they will be touched powerfully. They will be touched mightily. And, Lord God, salvation will come to them right now. Lord Jesus, I pray that there will be a desire and a passion to all to receive from you, Lord God. Lord, I pray that nobody will be denying of your greatness and your power, that we will not deny you, but we will, oh God, give you the praise. We will give you the honor. We will worship you and we will adore you. 
Lord Jesus, you are the center of this church. And you will be glorified in this church. And Lord, people will come from far and near and experience the glory of the Lord in this place. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for all the power that you have, oh God, allow us to experience. But God, we're not satisfied, for we want the glory of the Lord to be revealed. We want the power of the Lord to be demonstrated. Will you have your way today, Lord God? Will you touch us today in a special way? Will you move on us, oh God, in a special way, Lord God? I pray in the name of Jesus that you have your way. I pray in the name of Jesus that you touch us, Lord, and that your will be done. Come on, somebody, talk to the Lord today. Let's just take a few more seconds and just come to talk to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. It's all for your glory, Lord. Hallelujah. Everything we need and more. Your manifested glory. It is wonderful to see. I seek your face here in this place. 